Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here with the Smart Investing Show. We got so many things to talk about today. As always, a great week last week. What's going on with this crazy market going up, uh, what, almost 10% for the uh, for the month of January. Uh, but we are going to talk about the labor market, great jobs market yesterday going to talk about shareholder reports. Very important that the SEC is coming out with uh, different ways of doing that. And then going to talk about Super Bowl streaming. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, excited for the show as always. As I said, jam-packed. But, uh, you know, you got a question about a stock. You know, things, as you said, have gone up quite a bit. But uh, as I said last week, I still think there are plenty of great opportunities in looking at where you're going to be come December 31st of this year. I, I think if you're sitting on cash waiting for another dip, you know, there is that that importance of being patient but don't be too patient because i think you can miss some good opportunities you got a good stock you want to call in ask about our phone number here 833-288-0973 again 833-288-0973 and chase just real quick i want to get off a sidetrack here because you talked about if you're in cash you know now what do you do because that, that is the hard part is that you're in cash uh now now it's up 10 percent. you were waiting for things to go down before so now you had this difficult situation where do you get in now at this higher price? Do you wait to things will fall now 20%? Uh, it really puts you in a difficult situation. That's why we don't recommend going into cash because you just don't know what's gonna happen. And, and there are ways, if you're out of it now, to get back in by being wise about your investments, but it, it does put people in a difficult situation because, uh, you, you know, what do you do? Yeah, and I, I mean, the, the thing you have to look at, too, is what are you buying? Is I still, we've talked about this a lot before, I really think you have to be careful what you buy. And, you know, uh, yesterday we actually brought back the, the Smart Investing Stock Analysis on YouTube. Haven't done this in uh, several months, but we finally yeah. got a good marketing person in the office pushing us to do it. So we now have that capability. We're going to start trying to do those more often again. But I talked about Apple. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, we know kind of Apple reported this last week. I think they had a terrible quarter. And I just, I think those types of stocks are not going to do well going forward. They're, they're just too expensive. They're, yep. they're, there's too much froth still in the, the stock market. There's no, or I don't want to say no, but there's not as much growth in these stocks as there was a few years ago. Plus the valuations are still, I'm say terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I wanted to point that out just because I, I did a more in-depth dive on Apple. You want to watch that video, you just look up Smart Investing Show on YouTube and you can actually see that, that video there for for you now and also to go to our website and we have the link to our youtube channel as well yep uh also do chase uh, another thing too before we get into the uh, labor market which i'm very excited to talk about what uh we got three requests by email this week on, on questions people have and that's one thing we tell people if you want to and actually i think we forgot maybe for a while now but if, if you do have questions you can't call into the show the show is also a podcast as well, so you can send us your questions. We will try to get to them uh, during the hour show. We take calls, uh, plus we can do this as well. If you want to submit your questions, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. 
Com. Well, let's go to the uh, job market, labor market here, because it started off the past week where we had um, even all the negative head headlines, the labor market, the data, it is just strong. Uh, I can't say any other words than that. The recent JOLTS report, report, which stands for Job Opening Labor Turnover Survey, for December showed job openings increased 572,000 to a five-month high of 11 million. This easily surpassed the estimate of 10.25 million openings. It would mean that there are 1.9 job openings for every available worker. The other thing we look at here, too, is quits. Well, those continue to remain elevated as well at 4.1 million. Now, this is down from the peak in 2021, but if you look at the, the, the chart, actually, that shows kind of the past history of this we posted this as well on our social media if you, you go there i'm going to talk to our uh, marketing person at our office and see if we can also get it on the website so we can view it because it's just amazing when you yeah. look at this chart because we have never seen quits levels above four million until the pandemic happened and what we look at from that is people aren't going to quit their jobs if they're worried about their financial situation and worried about finding another job, that's why the quit ratio is is an important indicator for us because it, it shows, again, a strong labor market. The other thing, too, you hear all this stuff about the layoffs happening. You see the headlines with big tech laying off people. And they did climb slightly in the month to $1.5 million, But looking at the pre COVID levels, we are still well below historic norms. We're kind of having what I'm going to call a reversion to normalcy. Rather than a crisis, the labor market, extremely tight. It's not as tight as it was, perhaps, but it's still an extremely strong situation. And also, too, it's more of a reversion to our normal situation rather than the numbers that we saw in 2021. Those were very obscure numbers and historic lows that, that just, quite frankly, can't sustain themselves. Right. And and I'm so happy to hear this because I get excited when, when people are working and we're producing, we're doing things. Uh, you told me a great story coming in. I want to kind of give this guy a shout out. You said how <laughs> the guy from AAA, this is what we need. I mean, people, oh, America's lazy. This guy is just, I don't know if you know his name, but. <laughs> uh, no, I, I forgot his name. He was a super nice guy, but he, uh, you know, my wife got a flat tire. Uh, so I, I went and met her to see who was going to to beat me there and and fortunately he was there because it was a weird spare tire I, I didn't know how to work it you had to like inflate it you bought a porsche yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the, the thing that we look at is you know he was there helping and he was telling me about his day and he woke up at 4 a.m to go do construction and then he has AAA as a second job and then he works seven days a week and then some days those two jobs overlap so he's working from 4 a.m to 7 p.m wow. and his wife works there his girlfriend actually works the graveyard shift as a registered nurse i mean there's a hard working couple which is you know good to hear yeah, that, that people are working hard because you hear like oh america's lazy and so forth and there are lazy people out there but it's nice to hear stories like that that's why i just want to bring it out that, that people are doing well. And speaking of that, the, the jobs report, well, that came out on Friday, and, well, it was impressive to say the least. Headline payrolls for January increased by 517,000, which was well, well above the estimate of 187,000 and comes on top of the upward revisions to November and December, which netted a gain of 71,000. The household survey showed an even larger gain at 894,000 and produced an unemployment rate of 3.4%, which is 
which was the lowest level since 1969, May of 1969. Uh, job gains occurred in every major sector with leisure and hospitality leading the way with an addition of 128,000 jobs. Professional business services added 82,000 jobs and the government added 74,000 jobs. Now that was helped by the end of a strike from university workers and healthcare rose by 58,000 jobs. And, and looking at leisure and hospitality, we know that's obviously the sector that got hit the hardest during mm-hmm. COVID. Well, it, it's recovered quite a bit now, and it's the last one that hasn't recovered to those pre-pandemic levels, but it's just now 2.9% or 495,000 jobs below its February 2020 pre-pandemic level. I, we could see that eclipse that level, uh, I'd say maybe within the next five, six months, perhaps. Obviously, the growth is going to be slowing down here for that sector, but you could see a, again, reversion to where we were at. Wage inflation, that's been a big concern. That was also reasonable with a 4.4% gain compared to last year. I say reasonable because it was a deceleration compared to December's gain of 4.6%. That should help, again, with the inflation side of the equation. I know a lot of people, oh my gosh, wages, they're out of control. 4.4% 4.4% is still a little high and is still going to continue to fuel inflation, but it's not anything that I think is going to be overly troublesome. And it, it, if it continues to decelerate, that could be, again, a major benefit to the inflation side of the equation. The only major negatives I, I saw were the participation rate and the employment to population rate as they both remain below pre-pandemic levels. Participation rate came in at 62.4% versus 63.3% pre-pandemic, and the employment to population rate was 60.2% versus 61.1% pre-pandemic. And again, I gotta say, overall, I'd say this was a very strong report and it continues to provide data that makes us believe we will not have a major recession. Yeah, there's so many jobs out there, people are working hard, you're not gonna have a recession. They will, they will complain about it, and I've said this many times, they will complain about inflation, they will complain about this and that and so forth. When you got a job and you know that your job is very secure, you will go out and spend. I mean, we go to the mall, we went last weekend, and you cannot get a parking space. You cannot, uh, waiting in lines. I mean, it's incredible. Now, this is just San Diego, not the whole country, but I have a feeling it's not just here in San Diego. I believe it's nationwide that we're having this nice boom. I don't see a recession coming. Yeah, I, I just don't see it. I mean, the thing that I look at, too, with the participation rate and the employment uh, to population rate is it has come down. I, I would like to see that to continue an increase just because we, we do need production in the economy. That's mm-hmm. what really helps with inflation on the supply side of the equation. But the other thing you have to look at as well is there's there's a lot of people that retire. The baby boomers, which is a huge part of our economy, is aging and retiring. And we've had such a big run-up in the equity market in the or the stock market, in case people are like, what's the equity market? The stock market, stock market. <laughs> or the housing market as well, that a lot of people could have hit that that number where they feel comfortable retiring. So that that's <clears throat> somewhat of a positive, but also, too, you do need to see more people. We need the younger generation to start coming in and working as well. Uh, so something to keep an eye on that could continue to help the labor market, I think, be even stronger. And, and part of the reason is, too, is that we do have people getting older, so they are retiring and that we don't have as many people having babies or didn't have people having babies. Yeah. So the people coming up, there's not as many younger people coming to work for us. So we do have a, a gap there. But gosh, if you want to work, you can work and be very comfortable with your job. So I, I will say, too, I, I did get a, a comment on social media. And I've heard this a lot. Oh, these aren't the high paying jobs that have the job openings. And I will say. I do think there's going to need to be an adjustment of expectations for people. I think a lot of these big tech companies, 
I do think they were offering opening salaries that and opening benefits that were just unrealistic. And I right. think they kind of started to realize that, oh, yeah, you know, you just graduated college. Here's $120,000. Now, being a little facetious, obviously, right. but I think they were overly generous. And I, I think some people will need to take a pay cut. But the thing is, let's say, uh, just in my example, you were making 120000 but you can still find a job that pays you 100000 yep. Yeah, it sucks to take a pay cut, but there's still that viability for you to get a job, make your mortgage payment, and continue to live life as maybe not as lavishly as you were before, but you can still maintain a comfortable lifestyle with, you know, perhaps a small pay cut. I just think there was too much froth, perhaps, in a lot of these jobs that were happening in big tech, and I do think that will shift in society. And, and actually, the other thing, too, is that, and it used to be low-paying jobs. You you worked in a restaurant. You worked as a, a cleaner or whatever. You, you were making not much above minimum wage, maybe like $20 an hour. That's not the case any longer. I mean, I, and I've said this before, we look at people in the restaurant industry. They are making 30, 40. I, I, my son has told me sometimes he's made $50 an hour because why? Prices have gone up. So the percentage has gone up and it used to be 15% tip was the norm. It's now a 20% I think is the norm. So they are doing much better. Uh, I've talked about our, our, our house cleaner. I mean, our house cleaner, she makes like $50 an hour. I mean, she's there for five hours. I think she gets paid 250 or something. I, I mean, you, it's not like you're barely making it by, but you do have to work. You can't sit at home and expect it. Being a waiter is a hard job. Going Being a house cleaner is a hard, hard job, but you can make, I mean, you, you can make doing that very good money as opposed to before you could just barely make it. So things have changed in the leisure hospitality area. Yeah, and, and that's where, again, I, I just think there is there was too high of expectations, especially from people coming out of college, that you hear these stories of friends making these entry-level high salaries at, at these big tech firms. And I, I, I just don't think that that's reasonable uh, going forward. I, I think that yeah. did need to shift. I think that was too high and i think a lot of these big tech companies kind of realize that as well which is why they cut the jobs which is why they've slowed the hiring going forward and i i think the days of those very high entry salaries may be changing and he's the same thing on wall street you go to wall street and like oh you're gonna make big money and so forth yeah that's true but you work seven days a week 100 yeah. hours a week i mean so you don't get paid hundred thousand dollars a year for working 40 hours a week and <laughs> just, I, that's it, that's it. I think a lot of these big tech companies were doing that. And I, I think that was a problem. I think it shifted society to have this belief that, yeah, no, I'm, I'm worth this amount for working maybe 40 hours a week, which is right. not much. And I've seen people think they're worth more than they are, and they find out they're really not. Yeah. So you, you got to show your employer that you can actually produce uh, that money. So anyways, the, the low-paying jobs are not low-paying any longer. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, again, it, it's – the the job openings are not as you said the job openings you are you're you know scraping toilets for ten dollars an hour that that that's not the eleven million job openings that are right. out there there's there's a lot of good paying jobs that are out there still yeah. and if you're, if you're making forty fifty thousand dollars a year that's that's not too bad so that depends where you live well yeah yeah depends what <laughs> and depend now and again if you're forty years old and you got three kids <laughs> okay that's a different thing I'm I'm talking about somebody younger. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 so okay well let's move on <laughs> let's talk about the uh, the the tailored shareholder reports this is from the SEC now now usually new regulation complicates the issue rather than clarifies it for the consumer see this happen all the time recently the SEC came out with a final rule called Taylor shareholder reports also known as tsr which deals with mutual funds 
and exchange traded funds. Now, what I like about the rule is it mandates a two to three page document that will outline a fund's performance and fees and give a brief summary along with some other information using plain English and charts. Oh, that's nice. But uh, for those that invest in mutual funds and ETFs, this, this could be a good tool for comparison where to invest. If you're working with a broker who is put, putting your investments into mutual funds or ETFs, I'd recommend asking for the TSR on the investments they are putting you in or recommending. Uh, again, we don't use funds or ETFs at our firm. I mean, a lot of times people don't realize the, the doubling of the fees in essence. Right. If you're hiring a broker or an advisor that charges you, let's say, one, one and a half percent, but then they put you in mutual funds that can also be charging you one percent when they're paying two, two and a half percent. So that's why we don't like to do it. We like to do the research. We like to build the portfolio. At the end of the day, I hate to say it, but a lot of advisors that put you in mutual funds, you could kind of do a lot of that yourself. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure what they get. And that used to be back in the 90s, like, wow, that's pretty good. Now it's not exciting any longer yeah. because you're going to charge me, we'll say, even one, one and a half percent to put me in different mutual funds and rebalance, well, doesn't, don't they have this robo thing that does that for free pretty much anyway? Not well, free, and, yeah. and I kind of a little off topic here. I know we still got a couple things to talk about, but it's funny. I, I was reading this article that was talking about, it's like a Humpty Dumpty portfolio. And I didn't quite understand the analogy, but it was like, you know, Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall, shattered. And kind of what the, the article was talking about was how a lot of advisors try to piece back together a portfolio but there's so much like duplication. They try and make it so complicated with like seven, eight different mutual funds. And you're like, wow, you know, they're really doing a lot. But you look at it and it's like the S&P 500 growth, the S&P 500 value, the S&P 500. It's like, that's a combination of the three same things, but it looks like they're doing a lot. Right. right. So you just got to be really careful when you have an advisor that's using the mutual funds to make sure they're, they're worth their fee, I would say. And also, too, and I, I've been in the industry for over 40 years, and I remember when I was in the beginning, do not talk performance. Don't talk performance. That is, I almost swore on radio here, that is a bunch of crap. Yeah. You should look at performance. And if your broker says don't worry about it, not doesn't talk about it, they're hiding something. And it's very hard, in my opinion, to make good performance when you have different mutual funds that are doing the same thing. Uh, look at your performance. And you don't have to look at it every day. No, yeah. definitely no. not. But how are you doing year to date? Uh, and year to date, you know, six months. 12 months, and then we tell people, look, once a year, how are you doing? And if you don't know what your financial performance is, you need, you need to find out. Yeah, so. yeah no, it's important, but uh, coming back to the TSRs, I do think it is a good first step just because I hate a lot of times with regulation where you just have, and we run in this too with our business, where you have to have these contracts that are much longer than they need to be yes. just because you can't get sued, so you have to put all this stuff out there. It's yeah. like, Jesus. So this is a nice little simpler version but I'm sure, again, you asked for the, the full document on the mutual <laughs> fund. It's going to be, probably, I think it's like 30, 40 pages at yeah, least. I'd say probably about 40 pages, yeah. So all right, uh, let's go ahead and open the phone lines. Uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion. Give us a call at 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. We'll chase the big game Super Bowls coming up, uh, what, next Sunday? Yeah, next Sunday, not this yeah. Sunday, next Sunday. So uh, the Super Bowl is now less than, as I said, a week away. And if you cut your cord from cable, well, you may have some problems watching the Super Bowl. Last week, it was uh, easy because, I mean, sorry, not last week, <laughs> last year it was easy because NBC carried the game. And you could simply switch over to Peacock and pay their $9.99 per month. 
and that's a subscription to, to watch the game. Well, this year the big game is on Fox, and they don't have a streaming service. You may have to look into sites like Hulu Plus, YouTube TV, or Sling TV. And I myself use DirecTV Stream because that way I can get the Padres game. So that's Ooh. that's the platform that I use myself. Uh, but these are just a few suggestions, but be prepared to pay more than $9.99 a month. I think mine is like $89 a month. So it is- $89 a month? Yeah, it's just like cable. Oh, but that's everything. Yeah, okay. it, it's, it's honestly the same thing as cable just without the cable. Do, do you get uh, HBO Max and Peacock? Uh, it's separate. So, separate. You, you know, it, it's so funny when you look at the, the cable packages and stuff, it's like you've gone from a society that wanted to unbundle and now you're rebundling because you want that content. <laughs> Does the $89 include your internet fee? No. No, okay, yeah. And, and, and I know I still have cable. I, I, I just kind of like the DVR and so forth. Uh, I well, think I get I, the DVR on. Okay, but but I think I pay like two hundred dollars a month, maybe a little bit more, and I stream Peacock, uh, HBO Max, and I think uh, Netflix. Okay, so I pay one hundred forty dollars a month for Netflix, Hulu, Directv, HBO Max, and Paramount Plus. You're gonna have to come over and set me up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's still a little bit less, but it, it's just you know it, it, it's 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 not. And you think what you're getting is like you know and I'm. I'm again. I'm 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 66 years old. I remember paying ten dollars a month for the cable. <laughs> Those days are way gone. <laughs> but, but the thing I look at, the only reason I do Directv instead of the other ones is just that's the only one that you can stream all the Padres games. It's the streaming service. Will the uh, Super Bowl be on that? Yeah, okay. you, you get all the. It's the same thing as okay. like your cable. I get all the same channels you do. Okay. So, nah, just something to consider. But again, to point out these are just a few suggestions but it's more than 9.99 a month <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> as we kind of discussed and, and one other option too if you, you don't really watch a lot of tv but you do want to watch the super bowl there's those good old rabbit ears antennas which actually have advanced pretty well over the years and fox still broadcasts over the air so that may be a free alternative after of course the acquisition costs of those rabbit ears I'd start thinking about this soon, though. If you wait until Super Bowl Sunday morning, you may be running around to your neighbor's house to try and catch the big game. Don't want that. I love the Super Bowl. I want to just sit, be ready to watch it, ready to roll. Uh, I'm going to miss it this year. Uh, I'm kind of disappointed, but uh, we're going up to uh, L.A. Going to be do another show with uh, Dr. Phil, so got to go up to L.A. on Sunday, so I'm going to miss the entire game. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. That's so. I, I couldn't do it. Sorry, Dr. Phil. I'm not coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 uh, kind of disappointing, but uh, they asked that, and I said, no, no, that's that's fine. We'll 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 be there. And actually, it's my son, my other son Nash, and I will be on Doctor Phil. Uh, you'll be watching. Seeing if they said Chase, can he come up? Nope, nope. Gotta watch the game. Sorry, I watch Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> Alrighty, phone number is eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And and by the way, if you like the content that we talk about here on the show, you can get more of it. It is on our newsletter that we goes out every Friday. We also talked in the newsletter this week about target date funds. Gosh, you gotta look at that. We discussed the uh, Ferrari stock. Gosh, I think it just went up uh, dramatically. We just discussed mutual funds. Uh, oranges and Florida and California. Uh, we get a lot of comments on this newsletter. People get it, they, they really love reading it, and it's easy to read because you can pull up the topics you want to read about. Maybe you don't care about Super Bowl streaming, but you do care about the jobs report. So it is a free newsletter. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com, and you'll see it right in the center of the page. Just click on newsletter, and you'll see it there. And then if you miss the show, or you miss part of the show, right next to the newsletter, is also the podcast. 
So at the podcast, uh, you can listen if you miss something there. So, uh, again, smartinvesting2000.com. All right. Uh, let, well, let's go to the letters that we got here. Let, let, let me see if I can see who who uh, gave us the first one here. Do you know who gave us the first one? Uh, I believe was it, it was. Yeah, Matt. I believe it was Matt. And I, I apologize. I think it's Matt, but his username on Instagram was something else. But it, it seems like it could be Matt. So we're going to go with Matt. We'll go with Matt. Okay. So he says, uh, hey, Chase, I guess he put this to you, not to me. Uh, thanks for reviewing my past stock. I have another one for you guys. Energy Transfer ET. Uh, Zach's has them rated as a strong buy, but I trust you guys more. I own some and, and potentially looking to add more. So let's put in here ET. Uh, you know, when I see E.T., I can't help it. I think of the movie. I was yeah. just going to say E.T. phone home. <laughs> the first thing that <laughs> popped in my yeah. mind. <laughs> Isn't it amazing the marketing that they did that you still, years later, E.T., you immediately think of that. Um, the funny thing, I don't even know if I've seen the movie. Really? I know about it so well, and I know, the again, the phone home, and that was in a rap song, too, I believe. But um, it's, uh, yeah, it's. It's crazy. That, that's great marketing they great did. Great marketing they did, yeah. So, All right, so let's look at the energy transfer symbol ET. They are in the oil and gas midstream, uh, only 2.8% short on the float there. That's positive. Only 43% institutional owned, kind of low compared to what we look at other companies. What I do like seeing here is that the PE ratio is 9.9 .9 versus 18.7. That's half the industry. That's a big positive. Price of sales looks good at uh, 0.5 versus 1.1. Price to book value 1.6 versus the industry at 50.3. Wow, so that's a, a good number there. And the price of cash flow 4.3 versus 7.1. So I like what I'm seeing here. They don't show a peg ratio, which is your price earnings divided by growth. That's disappointing. The industry is at 10.4. Now I do see the uh, earnings per share growth over last year is actually down 29%, which is worse than the industry decline of 0.6%. However, earnings or sales were up 30.6% when the industry is only up 25%. So they could have had some write-offs uh, you know, over the last year that brought those earnings down or maybe some big expenses came up. So look deep at the uh, income statement for that. We do see on the dividend, they pay a 9.4% dividend, only use 56% they're to pay it out. So that's a positive. Uh, we do see that uh, last year, they increased that dividend by 74%. Look at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.1 versus 0.9, that's positive. Debt equity, 1.5, same as the industry. That's at the top of my level uh, where I feel comfortable doing a company at 1.5% debt equity. Uh, worries me above that. We do see we have a net profit margin of 5.1 below the industry at, at uh, 6.3. Return equity, 12.7. That is better than the industry at 10.7. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for energy transfer, again, ET, $12.97. 52-week high here, $13.67. And the 52-week low, well, that's $9.15. To year-to-date, it's up about 11 12%, we'll call it. Ah, good-sized company with a $41 billion market cap. Now, we go forward to December 2023. I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.54. Would give us a target sell price of $25.00 and 56 cents so it tells me they haven't reported earnings yet as well so that should be coming up for the business um but valuations look good on it i will point out limited partnership 
Every time one of these comes up, I do give that disclosure because right. the numbers can look really good. But from a tax perspective, you have to be very, very careful because the, the tax consequences of these is not the same as a traditional stock. So uh, I'm always leery of them just because of the tax complications, especially if you're a, I'm going to say, retail investor. And especially if you do your own taxes, yep. it could make it quite complicated. And, and if you're in a, uh, an IRA tax deferred, it doesn't matter. Well, but no, we do have a client that actually told us and uh, he has a good tax background that they're actually looking at changing that rule that it does actually have tax complications in it and i don't you probably remember this we had to work with schwab on getting him a 990 i, I and know who yeah and I, and I think that was a a unique situation i'm it hoping was, no he told me it was from an mlp really yep. well, yeah yeah and I, I thought there was something special to that but and this is why it's so important to always be in contact with your accountant I mean, yes, you want to call your investment advisor. Why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? We're, we're discretionary, so we get to do yeah. things and for our clients. But still, if you have questions, call us. And on the tax-wise, what we always do is we have people talk to your tax person. Because the other thing, too, is that right now it kind of builds up, and then you sell three, four years down the road. You could get hit with a big tax at that point in time. Could be the worst time ever. Very important to, to have a good tax person that you do deal. And the guy that, that we deal with, Tracy Gaines, um, he goes, yeah, people wait till after coming April 15th. Like, why didn't you call me back June of last year? I could have done something could have helped you out. So very important to talk to your tax. And, and that's why, quite frankly, I don't like the limited partnerships. Yeah. I, I, I just, I stay away. And even after hearing that story, I, I, I would just rather just buy good equities that, that aren't limited partnerships, just from that complication, you know, I, I don't like to overcomplicate it. And, you know, you could maybe check with your accountant first. And if you don't have an accountant, I would say probably just don't do it because you'd hate to get burned down the road. And you know what I forgot? I look over, you know who's coming up pretty soon, our, our CFP, Harrison Johnson. You should have a good financial planner that you can also ask those questions to as well. So very important to have good professionals you can ask those questions of. And you're right. Maybe it's not worth even messing with because if the rules are changing, that could be dangerous. Uh, yeah, you got a great yield but you may lose all that on the taxes. And what if this rule does go through? It sounds like it's not quite going through. Maybe part of it's coming through. It's, it's confusing right now, right? Well, and, and we told our client that, you know, we we don't deal with these. It was from a previous right. acquisition. So it was like, we don't deal with these. So we, and we're not accountants. So we don't know right. the tax consequences. We've never had to, to do it. So I just know there was that situation that came in. It was from a Roth IRA account or a rollover IRA account. I don't remember which one it was exactly, but either way, those should be tax deferred or tax free on the gains. And I know there was complications with the, the cost basis. I'm like, cost basis shouldn't matter unless right. now there was a change to it. So I, I again, be very, very leery anytime you see a limited partnership. And I, I would ask for tax advice before even buying something on this. And I know why people are doing it with 9.4% yeah. dividend. Well, we have uh, a, a REIT that were that actually a couple of REITs we're buying now. Yeah that are very close to that, or I think one's above that, right? So you can look around, but you've got to understand the fundamentals of what you're investing into. Very yep. important, yep. very important. And I, I think we're thinking of the same guy that we're thinking of. I thought there was more to it, but. I he Yeah, he's like, I wouldn't go near these ever again. Yeah, and that was a, an MLP he was in. Just yeah, a limited partnership, yeah. Okay, yeah, I thought there was something more to that. But anyways, uh, phone numbers here, gosh, no no calls. I look over like eight eight thirty one 831, halfway through the show, no calls yet, 833. Two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. And Chase, you know, I think it is. I think people are not calling in because 
ah, things are going up. And either they're out and they're afraid of buying because it's too expensive. And there are things out there you can buy, but you got to make sure you check the fundamentals or you're just fully invested and you're just like enjoying the ride up. That or I think a lot of people love the podcast too, or that, that's yeah. where a couple of our emails came from. Like, hey, I won't be able to listen to the show this Saturday um, live, but I, or I think another one said he listens every Wednesday on Spotify, so he doesn't listen to the show live, yeah. but still has a question. So that's why it is important that we extend that that opportunity to people that are listening to this maybe on Tuesday. There we go. So let's uh, exe- uh, extend out to the uh, website. We're going to ask the questions around podcasts. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And just uh, send us a email question. We'll answer it for you here on air. Right now, it's uh, time to go to our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Good morning, Harrison. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. How you doing? Good, good. You're talking today about tax planning with the new RMD age. I explain that. What are you talking about? All right. So the Secure Act 2.0 passed a month ago, and it increased the RMD age from 72 to 75. Um, again, the RMD is the required taxable distribution from retirement accounts you have to take. So how is it calculated? Well, the IRS has a withdrawal table that increases the percentage of the account that needs to be withdrawn each year. It's not a flat withdrawal rate or a flat dollar amount. It's a percentage of the account that goes up every single year. So at 72, it's about 3.65% of your account that you need to withdraw. At age 75, it's 4.1. At age 80, it's 5%. Age 90, it's 8.2. So every year you get older, you have to take a a little bit larger percentage of that account, which again is all taxable. And keep in mind, if your account is invested and growing, you're withdrawing a larger percentage from a larger account, which causes the taxable distributions to get exponentially larger each year. So overall, this change in the SECURE Act uh, 2.0 was a good thing if you are taking the correct steps to mitigate the taxes. So what this did is it bought you more time to implement tax strategies. However, if you're not proactive, this age increase can actually end up hurting you. So since you have an extra three years before those withdrawals begin, that means there's an extra three years of compounding for your account to grow. Then when the withdrawals do begin, the withdrawal rate at 75 is higher than the age at 72. So if you look at the distributions that you have to take over your lifetime, this ultimately causes you to have a larger amount of taxable withdrawals that spread over a shorter period of time. So you can actually end up paying much more in taxes over your lifetime. You have a greater chance of being pushed into higher tax brackets, and you can cause your heirs to pay more taxes when they inherit the account. So you have to be diligent about your retirement accounts, and you need a plan to reduce your taxes before those RMDs begin. Uh, We already pay too much taxes as it is, so don't pay more taxes than you legally have to. And, uh, you know, by the way, filing your taxes doesn't do anything on this, so filing different or different deductions, that doesn't change this at all. The only way to mitigate it is to be planning ahead and taking action before um, it becomes an issue. Yeah, Harrison, I just want to reemphasize because it is so important. I mean, we always talk about this. We just talked about this with doing your taxes. A lot of times people wait till April 15th and there's nothing you can really do with your taxes. Then it's the same thing. You can't wait till age 73 and be like, 
I want to reduce my RMDs. <laughs> uh, it's too late for that. I mean, because I, I know the, the strategies you're talking about, you've talked about on the show before, is, you know, planning for Roth conversions. That could help look at the, the lifetime taxes mm-hmm. you pay. But again, that comes years before you start taking that RMD. So I, I, I think it is so important to bring up that point. And this is why you're going to. Yeah. It's, go ahead. Yeah. Age, you, you need to do that in your 50s and 60s and now into your 70s. So, yeah, you're right. You can't wait until you know, you're 72 or 75 and then, Hey, what do I do with this? Well, you know, you, you really need to be looking at it in your sixties. Um, and at that point, Roth conversions are a piece of it. Um, you know, just another piece of it is structuring your income correctly, choosing when and how much to make withdrawals from various accounts in certain years to supplement your income. That's what tax planning is. And so the actions that you make today are going to influence what tax bill you're going to have five, 10, 15 years down the road. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and this is why it's so important to have a financial planner like yourself that just does financial planning because there's so many things that people will be left out. And if you're trying to do financial planning and manage money, you're probably not gonna do these things that you're talking about right now, Harrison, because something has to suffer. Yeah, I mean, I talk to people all the time that um, have come from other financial planners and they're like, Nobody's ever talked to us like this before. So <laughs> there is there is right financial planning out there. It's not just selling stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will say, too, on the Secure Act 2.0, there's a lot that I hate in there, but this is one great thing on the RMD age increase just because, as you said, you retired at, let's say, age 65. I mean, that gives you essentially now seven, eight years to to plan for that RMD. Yep, yep. So. Yeah. Yeah, overall, it's definitely a good thing. You just the, the point I want to make is you've got to take advantage of it for it to be a good thing. Right. Well, well, Harrison, thanks very much for calling in. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you uh, Monday morning, and have a great weekend. All right, thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay, bye-bye. Again, it's Harrison Johnson. Uh, he is our financial planner. He is a CFP. He uh, does not sell any product. He is on a salary. Uh, it is a fee-based financial planning. It's unbiased if you want to sit down and talk to him about your planning. And the first consultation is free, so you can really find out, is this really worth it? Is what Brent, Chase, and Harrison say, is it really true? Check it out. Go to the office, talk to Harrison. Give him a call at the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com and tell them that you would like to take advantage of that free consultation to find out more about true financial planning. All right, phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Art. Art, you're on the Smart Invest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. I wanted to uh, ask about advanced auto parts. Uh, symbol is AAP. And do you own that or are you looking to buy that? I am looking to buy. I do not own it. Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, advanced auto parts. Symbol is AAP. They're in the specialty retail industry. We see float 6.1%. Not high, but probably a little bit higher than normal for other companies. Institutional ownership is 102.5%. That is because of the short that is, is on there. We do see a PE ratio 19.5 versus 22.7. That's a positive. Price of sales 0.9 versus 0.8. That's yeah, about the same there. Price of book value 8.2 versus not material for the industry. So that's a positive for advanced auto parts. We do see price of cash flow 14 versus 12.4. And they have a nice peg ratio of 1.1 
about half the industry at 2.3. Now, we do see over the last year that earnings did fall by 18.3% when the industry is up 22.9%. So you want to ask yourself, why did their earnings fall? What caused that fall? Was it a decline in sales? What was it? I do see sales over the last year were up only 0.7% when the industry is up 18.9. So it kind of makes me suspect that maybe they're having some trouble with their sales here. But again, you got to check deep, deep in the numbers to find that out. They do have a good five-year growth rate here of 11.4% versus 6.7. They pay, I'm going to call it a nice dividend here, 3.9%, only use 70% of their needs to pay that out. We do see that uh, they have a current ratio of 1.1 versus 1.4. That's good. Debt equity, 1.3 versus 1. Yeah, again, I get above that 1. I start getting a little bit questionable, but I, I'm, I'm okay with that right now. Net profit margin, 4.3 versus 3.3. Return equity, 17.6. But the industry, well, the industry is at 46.4. So I, I, I kind of like what I'm seeing here, but I got some questions. Chase, what do you got going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Advanced Auto Parts, $152.17. 52-week high, $234.23. And the low, $138.52. Looking at year-to-date return, up 3.5%. So it hasn't increased as much necessarily as a lot of the other stocks in the stock market. The S&P is now about 7 8% for the year. But I look at the one-year return for advanced auto parts. It's down 32.2%. So this could be uh, perhaps a bargain, I'm yeah. going to say. This yep. is when I like to look at companies when they have been struggling a little bit in terms of that stock price. Market cap, still a decent-sized company at a $9 billion market cap. Going forward to December 2023, I do see estimated earnings per share of $13 a share. That would give us a target sell price of $215.80. So they traded a forward PE of about 11 and a half, 12 times future earnings, which is a, a very, I'm going to say, attractive multiple. And I have seen over the last 90 days that the earnings estimates uh, for 2023 have been falling, uh, which is... Part of the reason probably why the stock yeah. is falling. So you want to understand by, you know, listening to the conference call, reading the conference call, understanding the business more. Is this a short-term problem that they have with these declining earnings? Because if it is, and they can turn this around, and I think it's a great industry, auto yeah. parts, I don't think that's going away anytime soon. Uh, but if they can change this around, this could be a, a good buy in this company. And I do see they report, it looks like on February 13th, so not this next week, but the following week, I believe that is. So that is something to keep an eye on is to see how that goes. And then also then now you're looking at 2024, which right now the estimates are a little bit higher. So it could even increase the target sell price as well. The other thing I think about with auto parts is just want to make sure that they have the EV side of the equation. How are they... Yeah supplying parts there are they supplying parts commercially or individually what is their kind of target audience and and one thing that i used to see was the average age on the car on the market was quite old right. on the roads where do we stand currently because either that means you need new cars or you need to fix those cars <laughs> essentially so the auto parts could be good and especially if the economy slows down people may buy less cars and fix their current cars so it kind of is i'm gonna say maybe even a hedge against a a more difficult auto market. Yeah, and and Art, right. I, I think it's worth the research because I, I like the, the industry they're in. I like what I'm seeing, but you still got to understand more about the business. So definitely worth the research. Uh, I, I think you could be on to something here. Alrighty. Hey, yeah, thanks a lot, guys. That's very helpful. View on earnings and uh, and then go from there. Appreciate the help. Okay, Art. Thank you for calling. Have a good one. Bye bye. You too. All right, that opens up the phone line eight three three two eight eight. 0973. That's 
888-288-0973. Let's go down to Mission Valley and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Vest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yeah, hey, thanks, guys, for taking my call. Uh, I was wondering if you could take a look. Uh, I own a few shares of Adobe, A-D-B-E. Okay. And just uh, want to get your take on uh, what you think going forward with it. Okay. Are you up on it? Uh, what do you stand? Uh, yeah, I'm up on it a small amount, not what it was last year, <laughs> beginning of last year, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah it, it was a way up, and then it's uh, it dropped way back down. Okay. Well, let's say with uh, yeah. Adobe, their symbol is A-D-B-E. They're in the software infrastructure, only 1% float, 86% institutional owned. We do see a P ratio of 37.6, which is high, but they're in a high uh, PE industry of 43 Price to sales expensive, 10.2 versus 7.1. Price to book value, 12.4 versus 9.4. And price to cash flow, 22.8. The only valuation ratio, well, uh, the PE was as well, uh, below the industry at 24. We do see a peg ratio, 1.9 versus 2.7. That's a positive. We do see the last year earnings are only up 0.8%, but the initial is down 0.5. Now, sales did climb by 11.5% over the past year, which was the same as the industry. We do see a five-year growth rate for Adobe of 13.6 versus 14.1. They do not pay a dividend. Uh, Look in the balance sheet. we got a current ratio 1.1 versus 1.9. Debt equity 0.3 versus 0.8. So that's a big positive there. Net profit margin, 27%. Very good profit margin. That is higher than the industry at 16.4. Return to equity, 33.9 versus 37.3. So you got some good numbers, but what I'm seeing, paying too much. Chase, what do you say about going forward on the earnings? Yeah, so current price here for Adobe, $379.33. The 52-week high, $522.48. Then the low, $274.73. I see year-to-date started to kind of maybe claw back or tried to claw back a little bit, up 12.7%. But over the last one year, down 25.7%. Now, I go forward to November 2024 as I do report on a fiscal basis. I see the estimated earnings per share is $17.45. We'll give us a target sell price, unfortunately, of just $289.67. So it, it's still expensive. It's a growth stock. I mean, I do see their earnings are growing 11 to 14%, it looks like, over the next couple of years. So that's, I guess, the positive side, but are you overpaying for that growth? And if that growth doesn't ensue, that's where that stock could continue to struggle. That's why I was shocked to see earnings only grew 0.8%. If that continues to be an issue, did they fix that? That stock could easily cut its multiple from, you know, 21, 22 times earnings down to 16, 17 times earnings, which would be a huge hit to the stock. So uh, I'd be careful of it. I think that growth stocks are still going to struggle in this market. And I continue to believe the 10-year note too low. So as the 10-year note has been rising, a lot of times these growth stocks kind of take it on the chin. I think if the 10-year note rises going forward, I think stocks like Adobe could continue to struggle. And actually, I do see the earnings estimates are down a couple percent from about 90 days ago. And this doesn't worry. I mean, we are seeing companies, tech companies coming out with earnings that are not, gotta say they're not good. Yeah. I mean, sales are down, earnings are down, but oh, things could get better. If they don't get better come the second quarter, which I don't think they will, I think you'd see a lot of these growth companies drop 10, 20, maybe 30%. And I will say a lot of them, the reports are okay, but the problem is you can't have an okay report 
and right. trade at 20, 25 times future earnings. It's just not sustainable. Not sustainable. That, that's where the issue is, is. These companies are too expensive, and we know we're in an environment where growth is slowing, and you don't like to overpay for stocks when in a slowing growth environment. Yeah, so Tim, I mean, you know, Adobe could turn around and go back up and continue going up, but I, I know if this was my portfolio, I cannot sleep at night. I just think it's too expensive, and I'd, I'd want to sell this and buy something else that's on sale. Already? Yeah. Okay, guys. Hey, really appreciate it. All right, thanks, thanks, Tim. Thanks so much. All right. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Marcos and speak with Phil. Phil, you're on the Smart Invest, Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, guys. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. Hey, I was... um. I'm passively been watching uh, General Dynamics GD. Uh, in that industry, I was I was following uh, Lockheed Martin, but it's been a while, and I'm uh, don't own any now. Just looking to see if there's anything out there because I'm uh, been researching pretty pretty well lately. And then um, once you're done with selling that, can you just explain the co- uh, the concept of tax loss harvesting? Sure. Thanks. Sure. Okay. Well, well, let's look at uh, a company calling about as a general dynamics uh, symbol GD, and, and this is kind of unique because uh, they are in aerospace and defense. They're not just defense, so they have other things. I think they make jet en- engines and some other things. Uh, they, no, they make the Gulfstream. The Gulfstream. That's what it is. Gulfstream. Um, so you're kind of getting a, a mix here. And I know with the uh, the uh, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine that uh, we've been sending them a lot of missiles and stuff like that that need to be replaced. So I'm not sure if GD will benefit from this or not, but just some comments there. So they are in the aerospace and defense industry, only 0.9% float, 87% institutional owned, uh, PA ratio 19 versus 64 for the industry, price to sales 1.6 versus 1.8, price to book value 3.4 versus 4.5, and price to cash flow 14.1 versus 18.8. So the valuation ratios don't look too bad. They do have a peg ratio of 2.1 versus 2.4, that's okay. Now, uh, over the last year, earnings were up 3.9%. The industry was down 20.8, so big positive there. Sales only climbed by 1%. Uh, the industry was down 0.7%. They do have a five-year growth rate of 9.1%, half the industry at 20.2. They pay a 2.2% dividend using 41%. They're to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet for General Dynamics. We see current ratio is 1.3 versus 1.5. That's good. Debt to equity looks good at 0.7 versus 0.8. Net profit margin, 8.6. That's big positive. The industry is at 4.2. And return to equity is 19% versus 11.3. So I like seeing that. But I think it really depends on the earnings going forward because it looks kind of like not a lot here, but what the units like going forward, Chase? Yeah, well, we'll start in here. The current price for General Dynamics, again, ticker symbol is GD. Current price, $231.54. I see the high here was $256.86, and the low was $207.42. I see year-to-date the stock's actually down 6.2%. Looking forward for General Dynamics, I go to December 2024. That does tell me they have already reported earnings for this year. I'm curious what that report looks like. I would want to dig through that in a little more detail if I did own the stock. But looking at 2024, the estimated earnings per share is $14.70, would give us a target sell price of $244.02. It means they traded a forward PE of about 15 and a half, 16 times future earnings. So it, it, it's, it's not expensive, but it's not 
inexpensive. I, I think I'd rather invest in something else at this point. A lot of times, too, during difficult situations like the Ukraine situation is not when you want to have the defense company because a lot of that has now been baked into it. I like to have that contrarian approach where, mm-hmm. you know, I hate to say it, but everything's all quiet on the, the Western front, so to speak, and there's nothing going on and, oh, there's no need for defense spending. That could be the time to look at defense companies because they, they'd be out of favor right now. They're kind of in favor. People liked them the last year, unfortunately, because of this war. But it, it's, it's something that, that I think will do okay, but I, I'm not excited about it, I guess, is what I would say. I, I wouldn't buy it. Yeah, it, it's just not <clears throat> very exciting. And, and I, I know we actually did buy this company I want to say like right during the pandemic no uh yeah yeah I'm yeah, big, yeah. and it, it was on sale and then we sold it uh and have no interest in it now yeah. so I, I i just don't think it's very exciting this this time phil so i would probably look elsewhere for something that's a better better deal yeah and, and then on on your tax loss harvesting question uh the reason you do tax loss harvesting i'm going to say especially in a state like california is you know you, you get tax favored accounts like your trust your joint account individual account so on the federal level it could be taxed at 0 15 maybe 20 percent at the state level our lovely state of california we have a pretty quick rise up to 9.3 percent tax rate here so when we do tax loss harvesting you want to look at saying is there any way i can reduce perhaps any gains that i've realized this year uh from making any sales and we do it a little bit differently compared to just selling a position and then maybe buying it back later in 31 days we'd rather kind of front load that position double it up and then sell in 31 days so we don't run the risk of being out of that company because we still like the businesses we don't want to be out of them but we still see that opportunity to perhaps save a little bit on taxes and and, and we can do that because we we know the businesses we know the analysis we know that we don't want to be out of that and we have seen where well, I'll just buy back in 31 days where you buy back in 31 days and oops, it's up 20%. You've wiped out your gain that you got your taxes, uh, your, your tax loss. So that's why it's so important to really get deep into these businesses to understand, are they really worth doing that? Because it does take another commitment to buy more of the same shares that you have and hold it for the 31 days, but it works out very well. And we've looked at it and we're, we, you're never right all the time and everything but we're right a lot on this by doing it this way as opposed to just trying to take it the tax loss and buy it back in 31 days that's that means almost like a guessing game so yeah. uh, is, is that helpful for you there phil it does and uh, i guess where maybe where my brain was going is that something more prevalent like during the fourth quarter rather than the beginning of the year or does that even really matter it, you know we actually started doing it at the beginning of the year because we want all year and sometimes we can't do it in 31 days we might have to wait 40 days, 60 days. So we got that time. But if you wait till, you know, December 1st, you've really put yourself in a a lock that you don't have much to play with. So we do start pre-planning for taxes in 2024 in January of 2023. We've already done some tax loss harvesting already this year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All righty. That makes sense. Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Uh, You too. Thanks for calling, Phil. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. You know, and especially on the tax loss harvesting, the kind of funny thing is when you look at a lot of the the stock market movement, as Phil kind of asked, is that something you look at more in December, is there's people that do that. So if you kind of see a lot of losers in December, 
many times they continue to sell off because people mm-hmm. take those. But then you kind of get the January effect more so on those losers because people are buying them back. So then I think a lot of people wipe out that benefit. And it doesn't happen every time. Right. But it seems to be like there's a, a pretty strong correlation with that, which is why we just don't like to play that game. Because as I said, you could sell a stock at 10, you get a nice tax benefit perhaps, but then you have to buy the stock back at 20. Well, that was a, a 20% gain. Mm-hmm. And yes, maybe you got a, a 20% saving on your taxes, that's only on the loss, not the whole position, which is why we don't like to play that game. We like to own the business. As you said, sometimes it, it would have been better right. to sell it and buy it back in 31 days, but I'd say we're probably right somewhere around 70% of the time and wrong maybe 30% of the time, and we just don't want to miss our businesses. We like our companies, not to mention if it does take us longer than 31 days to recognize that tax loss, many times our companies pay dividends, so you're collecting dividends along the way mm-hmm. with that company as well. And I want to point out again, because what you say is, and I think people forget this, you get to take that tax write-off on only the loss, yeah. not the entire amount of the shares. But if it, if it goes up 10%, that's not on the loss, that's on the entire amount invested. So it's very easy to wipe out that potential tax loss you're doing. And I've seen people so focused, I don't wanna pay taxes, I don't wanna pay taxes. I don't like pay taxes either, but don't destroy your investment returns by being blinded by paying taxes. Sometimes you gotta pay taxes. I mean, that's a good thing. And we will try everything we can to reduce those taxes, but we'll never make a tax decision over economic decision, I'd rather have you make good money and pay some taxes than pay no taxes and have terrible returns. And I want to be very clear, too, with the the tax loss harvesting, the way we do it, we are very comfortable and confident in our businesses Mm -hmm. that we own. You would hate to do it on a business, let's say, let's say you're down 30% on a company, and it's just a terrible company. It's overpriced. It's way overvalued. And then you're like, yeah, no, Brent and Chase said tax loss harvesting. Do it this way. So you double the position. Well, if it's a growth stock, and I worry about growth stocks, it could fall another 50%. And now you have got a bigger tax loss that you can take advantage (laughs) of, but you've crushed the portfolio. So you have to be very careful as well that you have to make sure they're good investments that you're doing the tax loss harvesting on, not just because it's down. And you're like, oh, well, Brent Chase said do tax loss harvesting and double the position. You could really, really burn yourself. Yeah, good example. Could you imagine if you did that with Peloton? Peloton was one high at 200 fell down to 150, like, oh gosh, I'm down, I'm gonna take a tax loss here, I'll buy another 100 shares at 150. You'd be sitting in a negative thing blaming, you know, the Smart Investing Show and saying, well, they said to buy more. No, not of a company unless you're confident you've done all the research that, and you know what that business is doing because you could magnify your losses and the taxes won't even help you. Yeah, because you, you could, in theory, just keep adding to it and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. yeah, you got this tax loss, but you're, growth on the portfolio is negative 30%. And it's like, well, yep. that that was a terrible decision. So it's a it's a useful tool, but you have to know how to use the tool properly and efficiently. Yeah. And, and also too, and we do have tools that we use at our, our office that we pay a lot for uh, because we, 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 do, we manage about a half billion dollars. We have, I think like, uh, what, 1,200 clients so that we have these tools that we can do this with that perhaps the average person may not be able to do. Because other thing too, if you screw up on the days and you buy back one day early, oh, you, you could have blown the whole, the whole deal. It's called a wash sale, you wipe yep. out that benefit. Yep. And there's ways around the wash sale as well, but you gotta know what you're doing or else you're gonna get burned again. Yep. There's a closing bell, so thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for an informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, 
feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Be sure to visit our website. A lot of great information there. Smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And for more daily educational information on investment tips, go to our Facebook page, Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey. Thanks for listening. We'll be back more next week with the Smart Investing Show. To think that I did all that